You're listening to the Better With Books podcast, a weekly podcast for entrepreneurs looking to bridge the gap between reading for business and reading for fun. I'm your host, Kate Hollis, conversion copywriter and part-time librarian, ready to guide you toward finding meaningful, actionable insights into yourself, your clients, and your business through works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Join me each week to discuss a new title from genres ranging from fantasy to romance and everything in between. Unconventional? Definitely. But that's where the good stuff is. Think of this as your own personal on-demand book club, one where reading the book is 100% optional and all are welcome. Come for the book recommendations and stay for the inspiration because I think you'll find that your business and your life will be better with books. Hey there, welcome to episode 16 of Better With Books. This show is brought to you by Kate Hollis Copywriting and Sales Strategy, which is my full-time business and the source of inspiration for this podcast. So if you are a business owner and you're exploring a quiz as a lead generator, but maybe you don't want to invest in a fully done-for-you service just yet, my quiz funnel roadmap might be for you. You would get everything that you need to build out your own quiz quickly and easily with the strategy and content framework provided by yours truly. So book a consult at katehollis.co to learn more. Linked in the show notes. Okay, so episode 16, yay. I've seen a jump in downloads recently, which is just so wonderful. I love that book people just have a way of finding each other. (laughs) And it just means a lot that um, you're sharing this show and that you choose to tune in each week. Um, Now, it is definitely fall here in New England, and I'm not a pumpkin spice kind of (laughs) gal, but I do appreciate this like widespread fandom of fall and I guess I'll say autumnal culture because I can't think of anything else to describe it. Um, You know, I agree that like cozy fall vibes are just a natural invitation to just get comfy, settle in with a book at the end of the day, especially because it's getting dark so early now and it's just going to keep getting darker sooner. And I don't think I'm alone in that because I've noticed that there's been a definite uptick in traffic at both the library where I work and others that I visited recently. Because yes, I do (laughs) visit multiple libraries on a regular basis. Um, My son and I have this thing that we call a library safari and we make a point to visit new and different libraries in our area. So it's like super fun. So last week I checked out three new ones and they were all so remarkably different from each other. So if you're a library lover like me, I definitely recommend visiting other area libraries, even if you really love yours because the collections are different. The staff, you know, have different preferences and skill sets and create like really unique curated displays that I think are so fun. And they help you discover books that you otherwise probably 
wouldn't. So this book was a selection for my longtime, longtime book club, which is organized by my library. And if I came across this book on my own, I'd probably be interested in it, but I'm not sure I would have organically found it on my own. You know, it's an international title translated from Korean. And the reality is, is, you know, living in an English speaking country, I think you have to seek out translations of contemporary literature from other countries because they're just not as visible um, unless they win literary prizes. This one did get some media attention though from the New York Times and from NPR, which might be how it got on the radar of the librarian who runs my book club. So, you know, in reading this book, and really no matter what I'm reading, I read through my own lens and my own worldview. And I personally value nuance and meaning in my life and in my business. And so I always tend to read with an eye toward what I can apply to my business. And this particular book got me thinking about something that I think is really prevalent in entrepreneur culture, but that's not really talked about. And that is the role of age and ageism in entrepreneur culture. You know, and I found myself asking questions like, you know, in the way that messaging has become like more aware, more sensitive to a multitude of lived experiences and, you know, in terms of like racism and sexism, etc. you know, is there the same awareness about age and ageism and the importance of being inclusive and sensitive in that regard? Because as a copywriter, that's the first place that I go. You know, is what I'm writing considerate and compassionate? So even if it's, you know, not a group of people who is my intended audience, that doesn't mean they're not reading it. And, you know, I don't take my responsibility lightly in terms of, you know, putting words out into the world. And so I think it's important to ask more broadly, how do we think about age and how do we see it reflected in the business world? So, you know, we'll dig into those questions a bit later in the episode, but let me first tell you about the book itself. So the book is called The Old Woman with the Knife. It was written in 2022 by a popular South Korean author. And this book was like a smash success. And this is the author's first work to be translated into English. And since then it's become an international bestseller. And it's not a super long book. It's actually under 300 pages. And I was able to get through it pretty quickly because I just, I just didn't want to put it down. <laughs> and it's the story of a 65 year old woman who is an assassin for hire. And we don't know her real name. We only know her code name, which is Hornclaw. And the first time we meet Hornclaw, she is riding the subway at rush hour. And she's described as being like the sort of grandmotherly looking type. 
and she's just being totally overlooked by everyone around her. As she's getting off the train, however, we first see her in action. So it's a crowded subway platform. She's getting out of the train. She manages to get close to her Mark, who is, you know, a man in business attire. And she gets up close and she stabs him with a poisoned knife. And it's just a very like shallow wound. So to everyone around them, it looks like this man is having some kind of like medical emergency because she just barely pierced his skin and he's not visibly bleeding, but the poison is obviously impacting his system. And she just walks away totally unnoticed. And this is an ongoing theme in the book about how older women in particular are just totally ignored by society. And Hornclaw uses this to her advantage. So it turns out that she works for an agency of sorts, like that's where she gets her assignments. So this agency operates discreetly, but they have an actual office where she reports to to receive her assignments and occasionally to meet with clients. And this is where I found myself a little surprised because, you know, this book is, it's a slasher book, but it's also really funny. And I really appreciated that about it. Um, You know, just like any office, you know, this assassin agency has office politics. You know, there are people who do sloppy work, you know, people who never stop talking, you know, people who are overly competitive and like to show off. And as you can imagine, Hornclaw is just like not interested in any of this. (laughs) She just like rolls her eyes, wants to do her job. And she's good at her job and she knows it. But the men she works with are either totally ignorant of the fact that she just doesn't want to engage in conversation or they do recognize it and they just don't care. And there's one relatively new hire who seems particularly threatened by Hornclaw and he goes out of her way to taunt her and, you know, make very plain that he wants her to fail. You know, he calls her grandma and pushes boundaries just way too far in his antagonism toward her. And she starts to suspect that he's been spying on her because he knows things about her that he shouldn't. And this guy also brags pretty openly about his assignments and how he completes them. And he seems to be a very disturbed individual. He enjoys kind of playing with his targets, like a cat and mouse kind of thing. And so he's just the kind of person that she does not want close to her in any way. But he says something that makes it very clear that he was on the subway platform on the day of her last kill. And she is spooked, you know, about the fact that you know, this guy clearly has it out for her and openly admitted to following her. And her next assignment does not go well because she 
doesn't have the same focus or neutrality that typically make her very successful. So she is successful in killing her target, but it's not pretty. Like it's long and messy and drawn out and involves significant cleanup and damage control. And during this job, you know, her mark fights back and he's quite strong and she's seriously hurt. So, you know, she finishes the job. She drops the body off with her friend who works at the incinerator at the cemetery. And it's the middle of the night and she can't seek medical care just anywhere because she's an assassin. She just killed someone. And in general, there's one clinic where she can go. And it's a public health clinic where like one single doctor is on the agency's payroll, but it's only open during the day and she can only see this one particular doctor and know that her identity will be protected. But she's really, really hurt. She's bleeding a lot. And so she just takes a chance. She drives to the clinic. She sees the lights on and she goes in. And there is a doctor there, but it's not her usual one. And she manages to like get through the door and then she just passes out. And while she's unconscious, this other doctor takes care of her. You know, he stitches her up. And also while she's unconscious, takes the liberty of sanitizing the like collection of knives that she had on her person, which is super weird, isn't it? <laughs> but he's kind to her and he keeps her secret. And this interaction opens up something in Hornclaw. Other than her dog, she's had like no friendships or meaningful connections in her, you know, like 40 plus year career as an assassin. And the fact that this doctor sees her and chooses to help her and doesn't judge her, it just like shakes her up. And so she does what she always does, which is to gather research, almost like she would if she were targeting like a mark. And, you know, because first and foremost, she's paranoid. Like she's trying to figure out what this guy's angle is. Like why, like why would he help her? What does he want? And she finds he doesn't, he doesn't have anything suspicious in his background. He doesn't want anything from her. He's just a doctor who helped a person in need. And she learns that he's a recent widower with a young daughter who's maybe like six or so. And his parents own a fruit market. And so she goes to this market and she meets his parents and buys what sound like the most delicious peaches of all time and continues to patronize this store as this like really warped way of keeping this doctor in her life. So the doctor doesn't know that she's a customer at the store. His parents don't know that she has this connection to their son. And she just feels compelled to keep going. But everything changes when she gets her next assignment from the agency. And she opens up the folder and the photo she sees is the doctor's father, the guy who owns the fruit market. And, 
you know, you would think that if this were like a typical narrative, you know, she would have this kind of dilemma of conscience where it's like, should I, could I do this? And she doesn't. Like she's been in this industry long enough that she knows that she can't second guess because it's her job. She's the ultimate professional and she knows what will happen to her if she doesn't. Because once assassins get sloppy, the agency like takes care of it. And she also can't decline the job either because then she'd have to admit that she knows this guy, how she knows him, and that it came to her, and that it came about because of her undisclosed, unapproved medical care after her last job that she totally botched. So she accepts the assignment and goes about planning on how she's going to do it. And as much as she wants to know why this man is a target, she's never given information about why somebody wants him killed. And because she never is about any of the people who she's assigned to kill. And I won't tell you any more than that because, you know, in terms of like if she goes through with it or like other variables that come into play, you know, that's a big part of the overall experience of the book. And it's a really good book. Clearly it's, you know, it's an international bestseller for a reason. And I also think the translation was really, really well done. You know, sometimes you read a book that's been translated from another language and something just feels like off or doesn't totally make sense. I never felt that way about this book. And spooky season is here, you know, like it's almost October, Halloween, you know, I think it's a great time of year to add this particular book to your list because it's just excellent. It's a really enjoyable read. And, you know, this book told a great story, but it also had a lot of really interesting social commentary. Like it doesn't shy away from the fact that the world and the workplace are not kind to older people. And in the entrepreneur world, I do think that there's a really healthy mix of ages for people who own businesses. But when you think about it, the brands that are most visible have leaders who are in their 30s and 40s. You know, there are some thought leaders who are in their 50s or even early 60s. You know, people like Mel Robbins or Brene Brown or Tony Robbins. But their audiences definitely cross over into the business community, but their reach is much more broadly focused on personal development. Like the folks we see on stages, on podcasts who are squarely in the entrepreneur world, they're often younger. And I think it's worth asking, like, what's up with that? And in one sense, I think there is some kind of egalitarian reason for it, which is that, you know, this community recognizes that value isn't quantified only in terms of years of experience. And, you know, career pivots are really prevalent. You know, not only is it possible to totally change what you're doing later in life, it's encouraged. And you see examples of people being successful doing just that. But 
you know, I think we also need to be honest that ageism is alive and well in the world. And it's not something that's really openly talked about. You know, and just in my own life, you know, and thinking about how, you know, my husband was laid off from a corporate tech job last year. And, you know, part of it was timing, but he had just a really hard time getting traction with his job search. And he finally started to see some results and forward movement after months being on the market when it was recommended to him that he remove his year of graduation and any jobs more than five years old off his resume. And within a week, he had tons of renewed interest. And it just, it just really bummed me out. I mean, obviously I was thrilled and happy for him that he was getting interest and that he found a job that he's really happy with. But, you know, he has this really, you know, eclectic, interesting background, but, you know, he did a career pivot and he moved into the tech world, you know, when he was closer to 40 and other candidates applying for roles that are kind of comparable to where he falls in that industry are, you know, in some cases significantly younger. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, I mean, once he took his year of graduation off his resume, it was like, boom, click. Um, and there is this commonly held belief that to be technologically savvy, you just have to be young or to use certain kinds of social media, you need to be young or that someone younger is just like more generally in touch with things that are new and progressive when the reality is, is that, you know, in my experience, there are plenty of people who are apathetic toward their work or settled and rigid in how they do things who definitely are not older. And I think there's also this belief that older entrepreneurs have to work with older clients if you're in like a service-based business model. And, you know, depending on the kind of business you have, that could be totally appropriate. Like maybe you're coaching or consulting based on personal experiences that you've had that are specific to, to a certain point in life. So if you're a coach supporting women through menopause, or maybe you're helping empty nesters transition or downsize, you, know, you don't have to be a specific age to do either of those jobs. But I do think there's something to be said about having gone through what your clients are going through. And more generally, I think there's value alone in the number of years you've just walked this earth. Because no matter how long you've been in business or doing what you're currently doing, like your lived experience brings tremendous value to your work. Just, you know, the amount of challenges you've overcome, the growth you've achieved, the lessons you've learned, like it all ties in to how you show up in your work. You know, we've been talking a lot about how to think about age and entrepreneurship but it's equally, if not more important, to explore how to talk about age. Because inclusive language is really, really important. You know, many people have reflected on 
unconscious biases they hold around like race and gender. But I think age should be considered in that same regard because it's only when you allow yourself to identify beliefs that you hold that you can effectively approach your messaging. You know, and it starts with, you know, that exercise we all do in envisioning our ideal client. Like if you find yourself describing them with words like youthful or vibrant or even young at heart, you know, I think it's worth pausing and thinking, could I use a different word or phrase, you know, like young at heart in particular, you could just say playful, like no need to invoke age at all. So, you know, I think it's worth taking a look at your website copy, your social media captions, and your images that you're using in general for your brand to see if you're reinforcing certain stereotypes around aging too. You know, assumptions that older people are more sedentary versus active or assumptions that older people have certain interests or narrow interests or that they need caregiving or that physically aging is unattractive. You know, these are all prevalent but problematic beliefs that are just not true. Because like even if, and even if one, in, in one individual circumstance it is true, like let's just say if someone older likes to crochet, it is not because they're old. They just like to crochet. I like to crochet. Like correlation does not equal causation. And there's so much talk, like casual commentary around, oh, I'm getting so old. <laughs> and like memes that say, you know, things like, anyone born with a year starting in 19 and then there's like somebody a video of somebody getting off a couch and like all their bones making like crack and crunch noises you know we're talking about this for a reason like getting older makes people uncomfortable it makes them scared and so yeah they joke about it or they keep it at arm's length but like at what cost no like nobody deserves to be put in a box and that includes one based on their age. Because I guarantee if you put Hornclaw in a box, she would stab her way out of it. <laughs> so, you know, definitely check out The Old Woman with the Knife. Um, and, you know, just take a second look at your messaging and your marketing to think about where age fits into how you view your brand and your clients. Um, if you decide to purchase a copy of The Old Woman with a Knife, you can use an affiliate link in the show notes and a portion of the sale benefits the show. And if you love tuning in each week, um, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, it boosts my rankings and gets the show in front of more people. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Better With Books podcast. If you like what you heard, Please share with friends, fellow entrepreneurs, anyone who loves to read and share books. You could leave a review on your preferred streaming platform so that this podcast can be found by other people who love books as much as we do. You can also support the show by purchasing the titles I discuss using my affiliate links, which you can find in the show notes. The books I discuss on the Better With Books podcast are not sponsored by any third parties. I just pick them because I like them. All opinions are my own. 
Join me again next Friday to nerd out about another book and email me at kate at betterwithbookspodcast.com to let me know what you think about today's episode and anything else you might like me to talk about in the future. Until next time.